Hi, I'm Brett Terpstra, and this is Systematic on 5x5. Bandwidth for January has been provided by Cashfly, the fastest, most reliable CDN in the business. Cashfly delivers all of our content here at 5x5, and they really are the best. Check them out at cashfly.com and let them know you heard about them on 5x5. My guest this week is Howard Budden, PhD. Welcome back, Howard. Good to be here. Thanks. Uh, We had Howard here uh, for episode 21. And um, in addition to being a husband and a father and a home entertainment enthusiast, Howard has a PhD in clinical psychology, currently doing a postdoctoral fellowship in neuropsychology at the University of Kansas School of Medicine in Wichita. He does research and statistics consultation work over at the Button Research Dynamo and writes about science uh, and, and other scientific things, I'm sure, um, at the Research Dynamo blog. And before we get started, uh, this is Howard's disclaimer. Howard Budden is a second-year neuropsychology fellow at the U- University of Kansas School of Medicine in Wichita, and he is not yet licensed to practice. And anything he says is for an entertainment pur- purposes only and should not be used for diagnostic or treatment purposes. That was possibly the uh, most stuttering in a disclaimer uh, that I've ever heard, but I'm just going to leave it because I'm sick today. And I've been sick for like the last three shows. I think I've started every show by saying, you'll have to forgive me. I'm sick. (laughs) Uh, It's one of those winters. It is. But it's like 29 degrees right now. And for us, that's like, that's all me. Yeah. That's good for Minnesota. What's it it where you are? Uh, It's going down to about 30. I think right now it's about 40 outside. 40. Yeah. That's like June. Yeah. (laughs) Minnesota is always that gray spot on the map on the weather channel. Yeah. (laughs) Distinguishing it from the rest of the United States. Somehow in the summer, it gets over 100 degrees here and and muggy. But anyway, we're not here to talk about Minnesota or weather. (laughs) Um, We're here to talk about brains. Yep. So um, I think our first last time you were on, I, I had asked on Twitter and, and ADN who, who had questions for someone of your particular skill set. Mm-hmm. And we got a bunch and we weren't able to cover them all last time. So I figured we'd pick up a couple more while we had you back. Um, and the first one I'd like to talk about is uh, from Maurice Kelly, who says, uh, he wants to know if you can see a prevalence of disorders like OCD among geeky types. Is that something, uh, is there a correlation between our idea of a geek and the common uh, disorders that that we see in society in general? Or do we just perceive those more because we all run in geek circles? Is there a correlation there? Good question. Um, If anybody listening out there is uh, given to research or does research for a living, that might be a, an excellent group uh, study because to the, to the best of my knowledge, nobody has looked specifically at uh, correlation, uh, correlation like that. Um, you know, I mean, from a purely scientific perspective and um, maybe it's because they don't want to offend a demographic. I mean, Everybody knows you don't want to offend nerds, right? Uh, Wait, why not? Oh, no, it's... Is uh, that a politically correct thing? <laughs> right, yeah. I mean, I I think that it's probably actually because what, what usually occurs is that um, groups are looked at uh, on a pathological basis. So you would look at OCD in a specific population rather than taking a population and looking for OCD. So, um, that makes sense. And then the other problem that you would run into again, this is from a methodological perspective is how do you, um, how do you define what a geek or a nerd is? Right. right? And that's, so you, that's where I was wondering. Yeah. You would, you would have to come up with, uh, what we'd call an operational definition. It's, where you would take uh, an idea, right? Something that can't be measured, a construct that can't easily be measured and you craft a definition for it so that you could measure it. So maybe for geeks, we'd say, you know, the definition is somebody that um, 
is skinny and wears glasses and loves computers. That's what we're going to call a geek. And now we're going to measure them. But that might not be accurate because you have fat geeks that don't wear glasses and that hate computers, right? So yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. So those are <clears throat> kind of the methodological problems. I'm sure about the the fat part. I don't I, <laughs> I don't know if you can be a geek and hate computers though. Yeah, that was probably a bit of a stretch, but I mean, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe they're just like geeks that are deeply obsessed with comic books and only comic books. See, that's where we get into the line between geek and nerd, and everyone defines that a little bit differently. So, right. yeah, it's a very difficult area to make hard scientific correlations within, I'm, I'm certain. It is. And, you know, it's weird because I've never thought of myself as a geek. I've always thought of myself as a nerd. But I couldn't tell you really why that is. Um, yeah. I, See, to I, me, and and I don't this has kind of developed over the years, listening to a lot of different people talk about it. But um, like for me, a nerd is uh, like an OCD almost kind of personality where you're just really interested in a particular topic to the point where people get sick of hearing you talk about it. Mm -hmm. Like you can nerd out about comic books, computers, um, your favorite television show, like people who get really into the details and, and get that like mile deep understanding of something that's, that's being a nerd. Whereas being a geek is to me more of like the social outcast, uh, basement dweller, thick glasses kind of thing. Right. Um, but I, I'm sure, I'm sure that 50% of the population would feel that's backwards or <laughs> see, and and I've read so many of these posts too, and there was this like somebody actually went to the trouble of doing like a really highly stylized, great uh, infographic that I saw not too long ago about this. And yet yeah, seems like there are a few competing definitions out there. But I mean, the way you described it kind of, it makes perfectly good sense. I couldn't disagree with it at all. Um you know, I wonder what other kinds of variables we'd come up with uh, to add to that equation. Um, you know, we don't want to leave anybody out, right? <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, it does. It gets it gets to the point where there's the, the line between subjective and objective definitions becomes very, uh, very blurred. But totally. I'm wondering, is in my definition of nerd, mm -hmm. is that uh are those signs of of any kind of obsessive compulsive disorder or is that just a normal human thing to do to just be that into one thing so good question um i guess full disclosure your your definition of nerd describes me so well um <laughs> that I just yeah, have to too. say that out front. And <laughs> that makes me biased because, of course, I'm going to say it's totally normal to be that way. Um, but uh, in in reality, the behavior like that, to be like really into something, um, there's nothing inherently pathological about that to be like deeply invested in a subject, even to the point where, you know, kind of like you were saying, like it annoys other people. Um so what, you know, as long as it's not like, um, harmful in some way. So uh, that, that's when we, that's when the discussion becomes one of, of pathology. Um, when you want to try and differentiate a behavior, uh, in terms of what's pathological or what is just behavior in excess, um, a good way to think about it is like, does it interrupt your day-to-day -day life in some way, like importantly? So if you're like a kid, is your behavior getting you in trouble at school all the time? Is it getting you suspended or something like that? Um, is it causing you to lose friends? And that applies to kids and adults. Uh, if you're an adult, is your behavior causing you to lose your job or get reprimanded at work all the time? So these kinds of things where the behavior begins to significantly impact your day-to-day -day life and your relationships at school, um, at your job, those kinds of things. So if you're really into comic books, like 
to the point where most people would consider it like obsessive. You know, if you're maintaining those other aspects, if you're going to the grocery store and taking care of yourself and paying bills and all these other things that people need to do in their day to day lives, then it's probably not anything of concern. Um, but if those other negative things are happening, then you would be concerned. Um, what, what if you ignore, uh, concern? Is there, is there a hard, I mean, can you say this is OCD and this isn't, or is it just not OCD until it hurts? Um, no, you can pretty well say what is and is not OCD. Um, part of how we uh, categorize or, or define obsessive compulsive disorder is that it is uh, something that interrupts your day-to-day life. Like those, those features I described earlier about how it impacts uh, different areas of functioning apply to most disorders in some way, but with OCD, like it really is a major part of how we define what it is. So like you're late to work or school because you've got to check the locks 10 times or 20 times, you know, you, you can't put on your shoes because you have to say the, the Greek alphabet while you're doing it. And you've got to do that a bunch of times or something, you know, like these weird kinds of things. Um, but then monk, Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> Monk is a, is a great example. I love that show. Um, the behavior also will um, relieve some sort of like internal anxiety. So the obsession is the thought, you know, I've got to do this. I've got to do this. I've got to do this. Uh, and the compulsion is the behavior that relieves the anxiety driving that thought. Right. So the behavior itself is almost like healing to the person internally, but only very temporarily, because if it really did make them less anxious or, you know, kind of have that healing effect, then they would only need to do it once or whatever. So that's another way that we would um, differentiate again, you know, what is just normal quote, excessive behavior from something that's pathological, like obsessive compulsive disorder. Okay, cool. That makes Um, sense. Which leads me into autism. Then Um, we had a question from Rich LaMarche that asked, uh, autism seems so much more prevalent now. Are we just getting better at diagnosing it or does something like environmental change uh, contribute to the increase? All right. So let me actually segue into this question from the previous one um, that one of the criteria for autism, uh, one of the features of autism is like what looks like obsessive compulsive behavior. But um, instead of, say, being hyper focused on, um, let's say your your hobby is cars, you know, like repairing cars um, that somebody with autism, if you take a kid with autism, they would be hyper obsessed with the wheels on a car, like a specific small part of a whole. So it's a hyper focused, hyper obsession. Yes. Yeah. Hmm. And to the point where like, if you take them away from that thing or take the thing away from them, like in some cases, not all, um, watch out. Cause that's when like, they'll, you know, that might cause them to, to, really uh have a fit about it so but that's uh like i said i just kind of wanted to segue with that because they tie in kind of together nicely like that so right autism um a few years ago what we started to see in the research was this increase in rates of autism in the general population and uh so um, scientists were asking sort of the same question um, that that Rich asked, which is that is it that we're better at it, or is there something that's actually causing a rise in in autism? And at the end of the day, it looks like the the, the real answer is that we're just better at picking up on it because autism um, autism occurs across a spectrum. Uh, they're actually. Uh, autism spectrum disorder is the the full term 
And you can have like really, really mild forms of autism where kids are just like, they'll look a little nerdier maybe. I've, I've seen some kids like that. Uh, all the way to very severe forms of autism where you have kids that are um, committing self-injurious behavior. So they'll hurt themselves like banging their heads against the wall or something like that. And they um, they have these language delays and they um, also uh, in about 75% of these cases of, of autism, you have uh what's called comorbid, which just mean it comes along with uh, a comorbid mental retardation. So those are easier to spot, right? So sure. um, it, it, it's not hard to see that, but these milder forms of autism likely were missed for a long, long time and, and categorized as something else if they were categorized at all. Like I said, you can just have these mild forms of autism and, and kids just maybe seem a little off but there's no real outward behavioral problem per se. So it's likely that basically we're just catching all of those now uh, and that there's no real uh, actual increase in rates of autism, uh, despite what you may see or hear in the popular media uh, as it relates to not just the rates of autism, but what causes it. Uh, by the way, it is not vaccinations. That is a certainty. <laughs> yeah. Um, we have, uh, what is she, a congresswoman in Minnesota <clears throat> mm-hmm. who attributes um, mental retardation to vaccines. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was horrible. Right. Yeah. So that's also. I'm embarrassed. Yeah. That's also not. Uh, a reality. Um, I mean, it's, (laughs) there are things in the environment that can cause uh, mental retardation, things that can happen to kids while they're, uh, before they're born, Um, you know, while they're still in the womb, there, there are things that can happen after, after they're born that can look like mental retardation. But yeah, there's, there's absolutely no evidence that vaccinations do these kinds of things. Vaccinations are helpful as it turns out. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So let me ask, um, is there any, uh, benefit? It's a weird question, but is there any benefit to autism, uh, for the individual? Does it, does it provide in cases of say, like very mild autism, Mm -hmm. does it provide any additional, capabilities in in the area that they're hyper focused on do they be do they excel generally um generally no and if if there were any benefits to be had um you would have and again these are generalized statements but the any benefits that you you might have from being really obsessed about some small little thing would be dramatically outweighed by the the um the other side of the coin, which is to say the the other features of the disorder that um, are going to cause like social rejection, you know, among peers or, um, it, you know, if we're talking about mental retardation, even the mild forms of it, then difficulty in, in school and work at home and all these things. So that any anything like that would would be outweighed now you have these really exceedingly rare cases of uh, savants, right? Like Rain Man is the consummate yes. example, or Kim Peek. Um, these these types of, of individuals are exceedingly rare in, in the population uh, of, of individuals with autism. And, um, you know, they stand out as these amazing case examples. Or uh, Kim Peek really is, is who I'm talking about. Rain Man was a... <laughs> movie character. Um, but based on some of these behaviors that Kim Peek exhibited. So, so Kim Peek can, you know, or could, uh, what was it like among other things, tell you any city's, uh, zip code. Um, but that didn't really, uh, give him any great advantage in life because of the other, uh, the other features of the, the disorder. 
Yes, the incapacitating features. Right. Okay. Um, well, that actually uh, brings up a whole new question that we haven't talked about <clears throat> yet in my mind, but I'm going to do a sponsor read first. All right. And then I'm going to just surprise you with it. Okay. It'll be fun. <laughs> Thanks. All right. Our first sponsor is... Where are we? Oh, hi. Our first sponsor is Harvest. Uh, how many billable hours did you lose in 2012? Track all of your billable time in this new year with Harvest quickly and easily. You can work on client projects from anywhere by starting a timer effortlessly via web, desktop, or mobile device. You can even start a Harvest timer right from your favorite project management tool like Basecamp or Trello. All your tracked hours appear in visual time reports designed to help finish projects on time and within budget. When all is said and done, send professional invoices to happy clients and get paid for your time. Try Harvest free for 30 days. If you don't fall in love, simply let the trial expire. No credit card, no obligations. Just go to harvest.com slash 5x5 to create your trial. After the trial period, use the code 5x5 at checkout and receive 50% off your first month. Offer expires February 21st, 2013. Okay, so how so, important are friends? Uh, and, and by that, you, you, you said something earlier about uh, one of the downsides being that you, you don't make friends. Right. Um, how, how important is extroversion? How important is being a social person, it, it, both to the individual's health and, and to society, in your opinion? Surprise. That is a, that's a big question. I know it's a huge question. <laughs> um, so the, the short answer is that friends, um, or let's even extend that to social relationships in general. So we could even lump family members into that, but friends in, in general are incredibly important. Um, minimally, if having friends is not important, then certainly not being rejected by people is, is maybe the better idea there. Like for, for most people, you know, rejection is not a great thing. Uh, we work very hard to avoid loss in, in lots of different areas of life. And, uh, in fact, we'll work harder to avoid losing something than we will to gain something. And, and certainly friends would fall into that list. Um, you know, we rely on friends as confidants, uh, when, when we're down, um, we rely on them for helping to make us feel better about ourselves or just kind of, if we're feeling good, then they can be there to share the good feelings. And it has this, uh, additive effect of that. Um, I mean, I could go on and on and on. But having friends, at least here in our Western world in the United States, is incredibly important to the extent that, like I was mentioning earlier, it, it becomes kind of part of diagnosing some pathologies. So if you're acting in a way that repels people from you, well, that's a concern because humans are naturally fairly social creatures, right? Um, so I don't want to put too much emphasis on it, but the, the fact that we in part categorize some things as pathological by whether or not we have friends, uh, is, uh, means that, uh, they, they, they really are central to, I don't want to say like success in life or anything like that, but they're, they're important in happiness and, and moving forward in a healthy way. Uh, and people that are rejected a lot tend to... I'm going to describe myself for you. Okay. And not in too much detail. Okay. But I I feel like I represent a good number of people that I know. Mm -hmm. um, I I have uh, maybe, maybe two, besides my wife, maybe two people in this entire city I live in that I would actually go out for a drink with or hang out with or at all confide in. Mm -hmm. And I don't mind that. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't feel any need 
to expand my circle of friends. I mean, I'm looking forward to Macworld because I'm going to see at least 50 people mm-hmm. that that I correspond with, that I'm interested in their lives. I, I'm looking forward to seeing them. Mm-hmm. Um, but when it comes to like my actual physical meat world circle of friends, it's it's very limited and I I actually prefer it that way. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is not uncommon in these uh, kind of nerd societies that we've, we've been talking about. Mm-hmm. I actually think that it's, I, I, it's hard to uh, hard to pinpoint, but I think it for us, it would actually be detrimental to be overly social. Like, I don't think we would get done the things that we currently do. Yeah. And we wouldn't do as well at them. Yeah. And I should just be saying me, me personally. I can't speak for, I don't know that many people, obviously. Um, But, but it just, it seems to me like there's a place for introversion. Yeah. And as you were talking about that, I was kind of right, right when you were leading up to the whole, um, statement about productivity and and uh how having a bunch of friends could be detrimental i was sort of i don't know thinking that was maybe where you were headed with it and you're right so if we spend a ton of time going out and i don't know uh going out to bars or to football games or or whatever then you're not doing something else right i mean that's simple economics of of uh behavior and production so is there a place for introversion? You know, I don't even know that I would necessarily call what you're talking about introversion. I mean, well, let's is look the at the fact other. that I don't have to leave my house for four or five days before I get stir crazy introversion. <laughs> Cause well, I've done that. It depends on if you're just sitting there in the dark. Oh God, no. Yeah. <laughs> But you know, I talk to, you know, I talk to a hundred people a day online. Yeah. yeah. Like I never feel like I'm not being conversational. Right. Like I'm carrying on more conversations than the average person who works in an office and has a bunch of office buddies and everything. Right. I probably spend more time being social in what I consider an antisocial way. Yeah. But yeah, I guess I wouldn't call it introversion though. Yeah. Yeah. Because no. I really I do reach out a lot. Yeah. To to people. Yes. In my way. And I have seen that and kind of been a part of that, like interacting with you. Like you're very good about responding and, and sharing and, and all those things. I would definitely not call it introverted. Like think about it too though. Uh, the 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 friendships that you have, like, right, you said, you know, a couple of people you go out and, and hang out with, like a very small group, uh, that the effort behind forming a relationship like that, like, it didn't happen overnight, right? It didn't even happen over the course of a week or a month. It takes a long time. It's a lot of energy and effort to build those kinds of relationships. And, you know, as you get older and um, get out, you know, what you like, what you don't like and who you'd rather spend what free time you have. And, uh, from the, uh, output of, of your work, I imagine you have not a ton of free time for social activities anyways. Um, I mean, as much as I want, we'll just put it that way. Okay. But I guess that I'm, you know, I'm sort of the same way. I think a lot of people really are that at the end of the day, you know, we choose to spend time with those people that are closest to us. Like even if you have a ton of quote unquote friends, um, a lot of those are really boiled down to acquaintances. You know, like if I have 50 people, I would call my friend. How many of those would I just call up on any given night and say, hey, you want to go grab some lunch or dinner or whatever? And that list of people is decidedly short. Um, I've heard people put hard numbers on that, saying that the human mind can only handle a certain number of 
actual productive relationships. Mm -hmm. Do you know that number or if there is a number? Um, I haven't. No, not, not specifically. I mean, I, I've read. Well, it's always struck me as kind of uh, bunkus that it could be, you know, like, a, hard, a number that was the same for everybody. Because mm-hmm. yeah. I think some people are just more wired to handle developing and maintaining those relationships than other people. It's it's a, it's a motivation level. Like, how much effort are you willing to put into maintaining how many relationships? Yeah. And I, I think I remember hearing some of that, especially um, when uh, social networks started really taking off. And, you know, you had like 60 minutes and, and the nightly news kind of decrying, well, nobody can have 1,500 <laughs> friends. You can't maintain those number of relationships and da 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 And that's right to the extent of like, you know, could you have 1,500 people that you were as close to as your wife? Well, you better not. Yeah, um, not. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, there's there's no... I, <laughs> You know, there's no uh, upper or lower fixed number that's right for everybody. You're you're correct about that. There are the pra- practical limitations of number of hours in a day and all that good stuff. Okay. Um. Well, that answers my uh, my friend question as well as I had hoped. Um. So the next question uh, is again from. It's yeah, Rich Lamarche again asks, um, do you have any practical tips to reduce memory loss as we grow older? And that's a question I am also very curious to hear the answer to. Okay. So the best single thing that you can do to um, protect your your cognitive health is to ensure cardiovascular health. So have a good heart, get exercise, eat well, those kinds of things. Um, there is no single better predictor of health into older age cognitive health than cardiovascular health. There, that is horrible news <laughs> for a lot of people. A lot of people just sighed. I guess um, <laughs> that's that's the probably best answer. There are other. Uh, what we'd call like neuroprotective factors where maybe they're not necessarily things that we can go out and do, but that are associated with um, better cognitive health as you get older. So some of those are like uh, education, um, people with higher education. It's, it was thought for a long time that, that that was this protective factor. So the more education you have, the better you are at an older age. And there is still at least some evidence to support that. Um, but newer research is saying that maybe it's not just the education that you have, but that you are the kind of person to actively go out and seek learning. Right. So like Goodwill Hunting kind of character that yeah. didn't have a lot of education, but was super smart and was, you know, invested enough to go out and learn physics after everybody else had left the building. Like that kind of actively seeking out learning sure, is protective. So I guess the message there is that if you uh, wanted to try that, then go out and learn new stuff. It's something I'm a huge fan of personally. I like to, learn about all kinds of new things, take things apart, see how they work, uh, that kind of thing. Um, and I guess there are a couple of other like smaller things. Um, sleep, yeah. get good sleep. I'm, I'm in it for that <laughs> one myself. <laughs> I get incredibly limited sleep. Well, have you seen luminosity? the it's like a web app oh no i heard i think i heard somebody talking about it but i've not seen it now okay i haven't seen it for a few years but um but it was it's basically like series of mental exercises uh that i believe purportedly keep the brain healthy right 
there's a there was a study done on it was monks or nuns i can't remember but they would uh at a certain age completely switch their um uh, what would you call what a nun does is it a career i don't think that's a yeah. but like say say you were um uh oh textile manufacturer mm-hmm. or you know a weaver mm-hmm. and then you would switch and you'd at at the age of like 55 you'd become a carpenter mm-hmm. and they found that the process of just completely rewiring the brain at a certain age mm-hmm. uh prevented alzheimer's and prevented other memory issues mm-hmm. do you is there is there any modern evidence to suggest that uh, switching, like tr- changing the pathways in the brain completely, like reconnecting everything mm-hmm. can either circumvent or prevent uh, memory uh, problems. Um, more bad news. I'm okay uh, with that. <laughs> no, to, as far as Alzheimer's goes, um, there is nothing that will prevent it if it's going to happen. Um, you know, as far as what you're talking about being a protect, a protective factor and in terms of preventing memory loss or other cognitive decline, there is actually some decent new -er evidence for that, actually, um, don't want to get like super like technical, but they're basically specific, these certain types of cells in your brain. And it was thought for a quite a long time that these cells were sort of inert and um, structural, more or less. They just kind of hung out there and played a supporting role in the brain. And as it turns out, it looks like those specific types of neurons are actually able to change in middle-aged adults, I think is all the research that's been done right now is in kind of those middle uh, 40s, 50s uh, age groups that those can actually go through some rewiring and that they play a more important role in learning and recall than was ever thought. So there may be some evidence for for um you know, learning something new, uh, changing behaviors and that sort of thing that would rewire the brain in a way that we didn't think was previously possible. But as far as actually protecting against uh, decline, uh, memory decline, other cognitive declines, that evidence is really not there at this point. Like you'd have to follow these groups for a very long time and see how they came out and everything. Um, okay. Yeah. So, um, my grandfather, uh, died now. I don't know. Uh, he died of a heart attack, but he had mm-hmm. Alzheimer's for mm-hmm. like 10 years. Wow. And so, yeah, I figure I'm, I have a pretty good chance of losing it all someday. It's kind of scary. It's very scary. It is scary. Yeah. Um, I guess. I'm going to go out on a limb and and kind of say that like, at least if, if you are the person with Alzheimer's, the, the one, I guess, I don't want to say it's like nice thing or anything, but I guess the one positive is that you, as the person with Alzheimer's are not really aware that there's anything wrong. That's what, that's what scares me the most is, Mm -hmm. you know, that feeling you get when, Something's on the tip of your tongue, but you just can't pull it up. Yeah. That to me is torture. And that's, that's what I'm most scared of happening is knowing that I can't remember. Right. That would be maybe a possibility more kind of in the earlier stages of Alzheimer's. But as you move along, you are not aware that there is a problem like at all. Not aware. Okay. So that is actually comforting. Yeah, it's strangely comforting. You know, it sounds like morbid when I say it. To well, it sounds flippant, but I I totally understand. Um, like that's really for someone facing the disease. Yeah, 
not that I am. I'm just saying like for anyone who is told, you know, you have the onset, right. That, that would be to me the most torturous aspect and knowing that I didn't have to worry about that yeah. would actually be a relief. Right. I mean, and it's, of course, it's still hell for everybody around you. Absolutely. Uh, people that have to, you know, people that are going to take care of you and that kind of thing. So that doesn't change that, but yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's a great lead into a sponsor read right <laughs> no let's take a deep breath all right no more and number two our next sponsor today is hover.com simplified domain management you've probably registered a domain with a company that just wants to sell your services that you're not interested in when all you want is a simple.com or maybe a .co or .tv Hover makes it easy. Just enter the domain name you're interested in into, into their search box and Hover will tell you if it's available. If not, it'll come up with some suggestions. You can all just, also just type in a few keywords and Hover will figure out some available domains using those terms for you, like one of those amusement park fortune tellers, except that it's right more often. They have real human beings available for support and their number is right on the front page of their website. If you have any problems, just pick up the phone and call. They have a no-hold policy. Somebody just answers the phone. Seamless transfers from other providers, elegant DNS management, email hosting, and more. And while I'm not Dan, you can use the code DANSENTME or visit Hover.com slash DANSENTME for 10% off of everything you buy from Hover.com. And it's time for our top three picks of the week. All right. Some, I should have some like, music for that. Good stuff. Yeah, a little theme, a little jingle. Yeah, I'm All right. I'm glad gonna, we're switching. I'll let, I'll let you uh, kick it off. Okay. Um, so my first pick, I'll just go in the order of the ones I sent you, uh, okay. is Multi-Markdown Composer Version 2. Yay. And it's not officially out yet, but it was officially announced and everything this past week. Um, I have been beta testing it for a little while hey me too have you we can talk yes we can it's finally okay to be public <laughs> yeah i i actually and i i um emailed fletcher and asked him if it was okay to talk about it and he said yes awesome so what are your thoughts on it i i'm blown away uh there there are certain the table of contents resorting mm -hmm. is awesome it, I, it, it kind of blows me away. It is, you know, kind of as he says on the, on the website. Um, and I guess I don't mind saying I, I actually, uh, had the pleasure of buying him a couple of, uh, beers a few weeks ago. <clears throat> He's from my hometown. So I just got bold and, and emailed him and, uh, I thought, he, I thought you were in Wichita and he was in North Carolina. He's in, uh, I, I'm in I'm in Wichita, and he and I are both from Charleston in South Carolina. South Carolina, okay. It's, everybody does that. Don't feel bad. <laughs> um, Wait, there's two of them. There's Charlotte and North Carolina, and I think that's usually what happens. But okay, there is a Charleston, North Carolina, but it's this incredibly. <laughs> I looked it up one time. So it's an incredibly small town, uh, and so I went home for Christmas. Uh, and just emailed him. I was working on a project that involved the multi-markdown uh, content management system. Yeah. And uh, so anyways, I just offered to buy him a couple of beers and figured it'd be nice to chat it up. And he's an excellent guy. And uh, was showing me that the uh, the demo version of it. And I was blown away. It really is like it's nothing like the f the first one, uh, version one, which was still awesome. Yeah, I still I love the first one, but the second one is yeah. And Fletcher's so smart. It's 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 uh, it's humbling to talk to him for me. He really is, man. It was just so nice to. Uh, it was so cool to sit down and and just hear the kinds of things he had to say and what he's. Um, working on and how he ties it into his day-to-day -day life. And, and yeah, it yeah. amazes me that he cranks these things out the way that he does. I and haven't so, asked him if he's going to be at Macworld yet, but I don't suppose you're going to Macworld. I am not. I am not. Okay. One That'd day. be a fun, fun bar outing. 
It would be. <laughs> I I will go here in the near future, I think. I will let you know if I do. Cool. Well, I'm there almost every year, so let me know. Right on. Um, but yes, uh, it, I, I, I didn't describe it very well, but in, uh, in MMD Composer 2, you can pop up a HUD that shows you all of the headers in your yeah. document yeah. As, a, as a table of contents outline, and then you can drag them in the, that HUD around, and it yeah. will reorder your plain text document. And it's just, it's fascinating to me. And it's you could do the same thing. Brilliant. It's got a HUD for the references if you're using like footnotes or bibdesk. Um, yeah. for citations and what is the third uh just the information like the word count the yeah word count and the word count adjusts when you make a text selection i can't remember if version one did that or not but the, if you select text it'll do the the statistics only show you for what you have selected yeah yeah exactly exactly and uh it's got great preview um imminently uh tweakable style sheets yeah, even for the editor, you can do style sheets. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And altering the functionality and the look of it. It's. I have not. I've been working so furiously on another project that I have not had the time to, like, really, really, really dive deeply into it, like I would like to, and as I'm sure you have. Um, <laughs> I'm in your boat, actually. Like, I so much going on that I feel like I've only, I've only begun to. To uh, explore all of the detail that Fletcher's really worked into this version. Oh man, yeah, because like when and I saw, I got to see some of it where um, when when I met with him, like he's showing me all these things just like flying around the application, yeah. and my jaw's just like my my jaw's just on the floor. You I'm have to see this. him use it to fully understand like what he's put into it. It's, there, it's yeah. pretty amazing. There's no better demo than to see the, the man who made the thing just go to town on it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's one of those things where it solves problems that I didn't even know that I had with other editors for that. So, Oh, for sure. And that's always to me, a sign of good software is elegantly, an elegant solution to a problem you didn't even realize you had yet. You're absolutely those right. Those are fun. And it, fires up marked on on launch if you want it to yes yes it does nothing wrong with that not at all <laughs> all right so i i'm switching up uh i told you my first one was going to be something else but i'm going to pick on air pro okay. for ios as my first one um i can't i don't think i've ever done this one before on the show but it's a teleprompter and uh you can Use it on your iPhone or your iPad, and you can uh, use the iPhone as a remote control for the iPad if you have both. Oh. So it's it's a very kind of simple teleprompter. You can you can adjust your basic colors and your font sizes, and then you can start, stop, and fast forward, rewind from your iPhone while you have your iPad up on a stand. Which when you're screencasting, and you you want you know a script for what you're doing, but you don't want it on screen where you're recording. It's just absolutely perfect to have your iPad on a stand next to the screen mm -hmm. and be able to right next to your keyboard, lay your phone down and start and stop as you work uh, with the mouse on your right hand. Nice. It's, it's a, it's a great setup and it's not terribly expensive. In fact, I don't think it's expensive at all. I think it was $4. I'll check that though. Nice. As usual, I, I neglected to do that before the show. <laughs> But so, yeah, so my number one is on air pro. All right. Let's see. So my number two is GIMP. I've been using that a lot in the past couple of weeks. Uh, and GIMP is an acronym for, uh, tell me if I get this, it's the new, so GNU, right? Image manipulation program. I think it's GNU, but yeah. GNU. All right, there we go. Thank you. Um, and it is, I guess the easiest way to say it, it's like free Photoshop. Is that yeah. accurate? Yeah, that is. That is. Um, I think that was the original goal of it. Yeah, I, I think so. Uh, I, I guess when I finally um, updated to Mountain Lion, I uh, bumped up to version 2.8. I was just on 2.6 forever. I was just lazy and comfortable with the interface. 
but 2.8 was a dramatic improvement in the user, uh, the UI and the UX. And I don't know, just loving it. What could be bad about free Photoshop? How, how long has GIMP been on Mac? That is a good question that I don't have the answer to. Because, I, I mean, I guess when I got my first Mac, like 2000, whatever, it, I got Photoshop with it. So I, I, I never looked for GIMP, but I had been using GIMP and Linux for years. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess I never, never looked for it, but never realized that GIMP was even available for Mac. Never knew it was what I know. Yeah. No, I don't know how long it's been. But it's been around for a while, huh? Uh, I've, I've been using it for at least five years, I think. Yeah. I mean, I'm not any good at it, but. Sounds about right for something I don't know. Five years. Okay. All right. All right. My next one is going to be total finder. Um, which again, I have this vague memory that I've mentioned it before, but it gets to a point after 25 shows of doing this where I either buckle down and I make a spreadsheet, you know, and track this track stuff, it, or yeah. I just wing it like I always do. <laughs> and we repeat some stuff sometimes. So Total Finder is a, it's, it's kind of a plugin for Finder. It runs on top of Finder and replaces your Finder Rendo with a tabbed split pane interface that adds little tweaks and uh, you can cut and paste files instead of just copy paste and all kinds of just tweaks. Um, it even has like the visor mode that you can pop up from the bottom. The more I say yeah. this, the more I feel like I've definitely talked about this before, so I won't go on too long, but total finder, it's like 10 bucks. If you use finder instead of like pathfinder or whatever, um, it's a definite, it's a, it's a nice lightweight addition to finder. Maybe you, haven't talked about it, but I think didn't you just post Total Finder as one of your picks for 2012? Yes. Maybe you think you've talked about it because you wrote about it. Maybe, or maybe I just talk about it everywhere. That's okay. I mean, good good program is is worth talking about. Yeah, my next one's from my top picks of the year too, so I'm cheating. I'm totally cheating. But <laughs> go ahead and do yours. All right. Uh, my final pick is also one that I've been using a ton lately uh, as I've been um, putting together this website that I've been working on, having to interface uh, with the hosting provider is Cyberduck. And Cyberduck is an SFTP, FTP, etc. client. And I only actually found this out as I was grabbing the link for the show. I, I saw they had the little available in Mac app store um, icon on the website and I clicked on it. Like I've been using it for, I don't know, a few years. And I, you know, I made my donation through their website, a, 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 I don't know, a couple of years ago, uh, supporting new developers, all that good stuff. Um, but now it's on the Mac app store or has been for a while and it's 23 or $24, but you can still get an unregistered version on the website. Apparently I'm not sure exactly. Like a free trial kind of thing. Or? I don't know if it's a free trial because I, I was kind of too caught up. I admit I sort of slapped them together <laughs> not long before the show. <laughs> That's cool. Um, yeah, I I, uh, I started with Fetch, mm-hmm. like OS nine Fetch, mm-hmm. and then Cyberduck was one of the first like fully fledged uh, FTP SFTP apps that I really got used to on the Mac. Mm-hmm. Having used it for years, I got lured away by Transmit and Yummy FTP, and then switched to a, doing a lot of that on the command line. But mm-hmm. Cyberduck was solid. I know for a fact it was just a solid program five years ago i'm sure it's i'm sure it's become more robust since yeah and for certain for certain transfers and stuff i'll do that on the command line as well um but yeah cyberduck it's one of those things where i actually i don't even think i've tried another sftp client because cyberduck does everything i want it to and it does it really well and 
I don't know. You know. Yeah, unless you have special needs, an FTP program really is an FTP program. And if one does the trick for you, yeah, it's not something you need to spend a lot of money yeah. uh, researching. R- r- right, exactly. I mean, I just want to transfer my stuff and get out. Yep. I get it. And then you then you start writing R sync scripts and Oh yeah. I can't uh, remember last I, I actually when I upload these podcasts to five by five, I do it through uh an SCP mm-hmm. destination I wrote for drop zone. So I just drag the file up to my menu bar and drop it and it's there. But uh but yeah, um I don't I guess Yummy's my current favorite. I don't know if you've ever seen that, but it's irrelevant because you love Cyberduck and Cyberduck's really good. Yeah, kind of at this point. And, you know, like I said, yeah, I'd use the command line every now and again and do rsync and that's really good stuff. But you, you can tell my cough medicine's kicking in now. <laughs> I feel like I feel like I'm uh, the stoner dude from Days and Confused. Right now. <laughs> All right. So, OK, my last one is uh, Simplify, which, again, was on my top picks for 2012 at the end of the year. Um, but it is a very handy menu bar and desktop uh, music controller that works with both Spotify and iTunes and possibly RDO. Um, where are, I have it set so it doesn't show up if I'm not playing music. It just disappears. All right. And then as soon as I play music, it pops up the album cover on my desktop and puts the title of the track that's playing in my bartender bar. Mm-hmm. So it's not in, it's not at the top of my screen, but it's just a key press away. Oh, and right, then right. it also has a pop-up player controller. You can control the music from by hovering over the desktop artwork. Mm-hmm. Or uh, by popping up a mini controller, or by using system-wide hotkeys, and it also handles Last FM scrabbling, and um, it can tell if you have both iTunes and Spotify running. It can tell which one you're currently using, oh. so your your shortcuts be truly become universal. Um, nice. Yeah, it's it's very handy for its its relatively low price, which again I don't have ready. I'll let you know. Is that the, I'm looking at uh, your website right now, just cause it seemed like easier to find it there. I don't know. <laughs> is, is that, uh, that interface looks like a uh, bow tie. Did you ever use that? It, yeah. I used to love bow tie. It was, it was my choice. There were just a few things that simplify did. And honestly, I don't remember the difference anymore, mm-hmm. but bow tie was solid. I think bow tie is, uh, they went commercial too, didn't they? Aren't they on the app store? I don't know. I uninstalled it not too long ago just because it was one of those days where, you know, you kind of troll through the applications folder and just decide to drop the axe on some things. I do that. It's like a hobby of mine is doing that. And it's still, it's like my t-shirt drawer. Like no matter how many I take out, it still seems chock full. Um, Yes. (laughs) uh, But yeah, I, I used to really enjoy bow tie. I don't know. I haven't. Yeah. Bow tie is not on the app store. Simplify is. And I can't tell you how much it costs because stupid app store just tells you that you have it installed. It installed. You can't get the price. So now I have to copy the link, go back to my browser, open it up. And it says four ninety nine. Four ninety nine. Yeah. You win. I don't have it. installed. Yet. Great artwork, though. Yeah, it That's really nice. is. That's pretty cool. I even like, have a I have a custom jacket. They're called like the artwork that shows on your desktop. You can customize that with HTML and CSS. Oh, really? Much like bow, much like bow tie themes were. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I have. Uh, if you look on my website for something called Stained, I have like a little grungy Polaroid version of the jacket. Nice. It's By the fun. way, I don't mind telling you uh, that. Uh, yeah, your new website looks fantastic. Why? Thank you. Uh, I was surprised. When I queued it up the other day, because <laughs> it's shockingly better. <laughs> it yeah, it is. I mean, well, it hadn't been redesigned for like four years. Man. That theme may have been okay once upon a time, but yeah. even even the best ones, though, eventually, you know, you just can't help but go in and mess with it. Yep. 
But uh, yeah, I kind of like the way it came out. It's still got my personality, which is a little bit like kludgy. Um, I, I just like I, I do things. I have to work really hard to make things elegant. Yeah. Like that takes extra effort for me because I'm I just have like a very heavy hand with design stuff. Yeah. Uh, but this one kind of it kind of it, it feels like me, but it's much cleaner. That's a clean layout, man. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. <laughs> As a Mike Schramm endorsement. Say. Thank you. <laughs> um, all right. So do, where am I? Oh, we still have one more sponsor read to go. All right. And and then we'll wrap up and share some personal links. Um, So our third sponsor today is lynda.com, an online learning company with more than 77,000 video tutorials that teach software, creative and business skills. You can learn anytime, anywhere and at your own pace. Save and prioritize courses in your queue for whenever you're ready to watch and track your progress in each. You can learn on the go with their optimized mobile website or free iPhone and iPad app for members. They've got it all from bite-sized tutorials to comprehensive courses in web design, programming, design, photography, business, audio and video, 3D and animation. And with new courses added every week, the training library keeps pace with today's fast-changing technical and software skills. Membership starts at $25 per month and provides unlimited 24-7 access to top-quality video courses taught by an expert instructor with real-world experience. Try lynda.com free for seven days by visiting lynda.com slash five by five. I'm so stoned. I'm like doing like, you know, the wave, like the old <laughs> disco wave move. I'm doing that while I'm reading and I didn't even realize it. Wow. Um, I'm not stoned. I, right. Kids don't do drugs. I'm just on cough medicine. Cough medicine. Yeah. Okay. So anyway, um, <laughs> All right, let's see. Links for Howard will be on the website. Um, remind me again, uh, because I once again didn't write this down. Sure. Uh, but what's your Twitter handle? At H button, uh, at H B U D D I N. How did I not have that in the notes for Systematic 21 either? I don't know. That. I'm horrible at this. Um, Okay, and then you have the Research Dynamo. Yes. The research um, you want to just say those for me so I don't mess them up? <laughs> sure. Uh, the ResearchDynamo.com. And then that's the like business website, I guess you'd call it. And then the blog is over at WordPress, and it's under the WordPress standard naming structure. What was it like? WordPress.ResearchDynamo.com or something? I don't even know. I thought it'd be the other way around. Maybe it's the other way around. Um, yeah, I think it would have to be. So don't feel bad because I obviously don't even know my own links. <laughs> uh, yeah, here it is. Did you want to mention that new one you showed me or is that still in progress? Um, yeah, no, I will uh, totally uh, bring it up. I, um, I I did talk to my partner in crime, uh, Mark Testa, who is working with me on this. And the site is neuropsychnow.com. Uh, the, so I, I built it off of the, the Twitter bootstrap. And yeah. you've, I'm guessing you're very familiar with that. Um, Intimately. Yeah. <laughs> and, and as I was building it, and I know nothing about uh, web designer programming or anything i just kind of you know you dive in and that's how you learn it right um and i wanted to have some sort of content management for it and it doesn't it didn't seem like it afforded that uh, out of the gate at all like there are ways to interface with content management and then i was just thinking uh, about the multi-markdown content management system uh that uh fletcher penny created and uh so i just was sitting there and said, I wonder if there's any way I can wrap uh, one inside of the other. And lo and behold, after staring at lots of Perl scripts and lines of code that made mm-hmm. little sense to me, um, managed to pull it off. And uh, it is a work in progress. Um, the The site is up, but the actual content of it is probably is probably six, seven months or more down the road. 
we are taking inspiration from other people in the field, uh, other people in other fields that have produced iBooks, eBooks, and the like uh, for their respective professions. And we are going to try and bring that to neuropsychology. Um, it's sort of funny that scientists were the ones that invented the internet, but are just incredibly slow <laughs> to adopt new technology, like so far behind in neuropsychology. Um, as much as it advances in other ways, uh, neuropsychologists on the whole seem to be similar to other scientists. So, <laughs> well, it, the site looks great. I took a look. It looks really good. Thank you. <laughs> Love to learn more about, uh, the MMD CMS. I actually, I've known about it for a long time, but I've never looked at it. It's, it's pretty cool. Um, once I kind of got it figured out, I guess. Uh, it works really well and it's just kind of, it's neat to just throw text files into it and run the make file and bam, it just gives you your website. And, uh, actually if you take a look at Fletcher's site for multimarkdown.com, that is, um, what I, uh, did. I showed, I, um, showed him that when I went into town and was like, Hey, here's how I'm using it. And uh, so he relaunched the site. And it's gorgeous as well. It is gorgeous. He, I was almost upset in that weird way where it's like he did so much of a better website in the course <laughs> of like a weekend <laughs> than I did in like three weeks. <laughs> but yeah, that's I know the feeling. <laughs> Happens to me all the time. Um, okay. And... I am TT Scoff on Twitter and app.net, and my recently relaunched blog is at brettterpstra.com. And that is episode 26 of Systematic. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks for being here, Howard, and we'll see you all in a week. <laughs>